Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with our studies of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the third subsection of the 71st Anucheta. We're still dealing, dealing with um, a fuller understanding of the distinction between the Parinamavad and the Vivartavad, understanding that the Material manifestation is actually a real manifestation of a potency of the Supreme and not simply an illusion created by an imposition of potty on the Supreme Absolute Truth if one were to view the Supreme Absolute Truth as simply the Brahman aspect and not look deeper. So in the last discussion... Shijiva Goswami is establishing the fact that the Vivartavad or the the theory or the acceptance of a theory that the world is an illusion is not supported by the scriptures. He began this subsection of the Anucheta by quoting a verse from the Bhagavad Gita. Asatyam apartistam te jagat ahur Anisvaram, aparaspara sambutam, kim anyat karma hai to come. They claim that this world is untrue, that it is without any foundation, devoid of God, or a personal conscious source, that it is brought forth perpetually, and moreover, that it is caused by desire alone. So this is Krishna speaking to Arjuna, and he's speaking about those that accept this Vivartavad, that it's truly not a, a representation of of the the true reality of the material world, or a true reality of his involvement in the material world through his Paramatma feature. And in the last discussion, Jiva Goswami expanded upon that a little bit. And we're going to continue with the Anucheta proper, Jiva Goswami's Anucheta, where he writes the following. In the same section of the Gita, where this verse was presented, the impure samskaras of the ungodly nature are described. In other words, what what really is 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 the their swabhav, their nature, immaterial nature. What what really makes makes up someone that would accept and be considered by the Lord Himself as ungodly, and their whole approach to to the logic of existence as a as an ungodly understanding. What's their samskaras? What's what's burnt into their conditioning? How do we understand a samskara? A samskara is is an impression upon the chitta. The chitta is that unconscious aspect of of the heart. The heart has four aspects. When we talk of the heart in in spiritual terms according to the Bhagavatam, as it's explained that within the heart we have mind, intelligence, false ego, and unconscious. So these four aspects, it's interesting to note, are 
are controlled by mind, intelligence, false ego, and the chitta, we can relate back to the chatravyuha. These are aspects of, of the supreme, Vasudev, Sankarchan, Pradyumna, and Aniruddha. And uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur mentions this in his commentary in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. In a couple places he mentions it. And it's brought out by Maitreya in his instructions to Vidura about the unfoldment of the universe and all the different aspects of, well, he begins by attributing those aspects to the universal form of the Lord, the sight, the hearing, the seeing, the smelling, and then what demigods are there. So the Adi-Atmic, Adi-Baltic, and Adi-Divic aspects of the experience that we're afforded within the material nature through the utilization of the senses and how we have ourselves some agency within the material realm. So we have not only the ability to, to, to bring things into our consciousness, our awareness, through our senses, but we can also do some things. We have working senses and we have knowledge-acquiring senses, five of each. So the samskaras, these impressions on the chitta, they go with us from one body to the next. Ideally, if we want to have a progressive existence, once we come to the human form and can actually exert our willfulness in a way that affects the outcome of our existence in some way or another. Not that we're simply thrown around by material nature, but we start to take charge of our existence. We start to, through our intelligence, realize that we have something up on the other bodies. We could be in another body, but we're in a human body and we have some advantages and the advantages are that we have some ability of thinking, feeling, and willing. Not that the animals don't think and don't feel and don't will, but we have a little bit more agency. Their thinking, willing, and feeling are <coughs> completely controlled by the body that they're in. And we can think a little bit beyond the body. So samskaras are these impressions. And in the human form, our impressions are created by our involvement according to the modes of material nature. So we can see we come into a human form of life and we already have some inclination. Our inclinations could be more towards the mode of goodness, the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance. If we take a detached viewpoint of the culture that we live in, we can see certain individuals are overtaken by certain modes of material nature and they seem to be they seem to come into the world and they're giving an given an opportunity to continue from where they left off to continue with the direction that they were on in their prior life 
So these samskaras are also there. Krishna is talking about samskaras here. So he says, and this is the verse just prior to the one that I read, the one where he points out their overall consciousness. People of ungodly nature do not know what is appropriate action and what is to be avoided. Thus, in them, there exists neither purity nor virtuous conduct nor truthfulness. Jiva Goswami continues. And then in the following verse, the verse after the one that he quoted, their actions are also criticized. So, Krishna begins by criticizing the samskaras they came into life with. This is, this is the way they came in. This is the way they think and deal now. Then in the following verse, he talks about the way they act in the world. Upholding this view, Krishna says, such hostile individuals who are bereft of self-awareness, of paltry discrimination, and performers of cruel deeds take birth solely for the destruction of the world. When Krishna says destruction of the world, what world? The whole world? Sometimes. The local world? Sometimes. The family unit? Often. But worse than all that is they're enemies of their very self. That's really the, the most unfortunate. Well, I guess it's kind of unfortunate, but the other unfortunate will, will come to you and, and, and back to you in karma, but to not take advantage of the human form of life is the greatest misfortune. They seek the destruction of the world in many different ways. Jiva Goswami continues. Now he speaks himself. They also say that Maya, too, which is, Brahman, which is Brahman's adjunct of sovereign power, is a mental construct manufactured out of the jiva's ignorance, and that the universe is created through that alone. And then jiva substantiates their viewpoint with the leader of this kind of consciousness at that time in that social setting where Jiva is presenting this knowledge is the followers of Sankaracharya. So next, Jiva in his Anucheta, he quotes from the Sankarabhasya on the Brahma Sutra or the Vedanta Sutra. So he quotes Sankar saying, Name and form, which are imagined through ignorance, are like the very internal nature of the omniscient god Ishvara and cannot be delineated as real or unreal, being the very seed of phenomenal existence. They are the maya potency of the omniscient god, which is called prakriti in the shrutis and smritis. It would seem like he's talking about god, in a favorable way, but really he's talking about God as a mental construct. This is not praise of the Lord. This is not an acknowledgement of his existence. This is a, an acknowledgement of a, a viewpoint that one holds who's buying into the material nature through ignorance, which is their whole concept. 
Now this will all gradually come together. Again, now we're coming to the scriptural. Jiva Goswami is relying on scripture to support. Up to this point, it's practically all been based on logic. The logic of the fact that Vivarta Vad just is, it doesn't make any sense. Well, then where's it come from? Well, first of all, what's its nature? Well, let's see what Krishna says about it. Let's go to Bhagavad Gita and the, the Gita Upanishad. What are the what are Krishna's direct statements regarding this mentality? And Krishna lays it out. These people have they're ungodly. They have no sense of me, Krishna's telling Arjuna. Well, where'd it come from? Where'd it, where'd they get it? They get it from Sankaracharya. Now, this is this is gonna go around here. You're going to see where this is coming from, but get it from Sankaracharya. Well, what's Sankaracharya say? So now Jiva's quoting in his Anucheda. He's first quoted Krishna, now he's quoting Sankaracharya to substantiate. Yeah, this is the way they think. They think it's all an illusion, and they base that on an illusion created within the material world, which he says, Ishvara. It's the very nature of the Ashwara to be an illusion. To, to have this illusory manifestation where names and forms are imagined because of ignorance is what Sankaracharya is saying. Jiva Goswami continues, but this is opposed to the statements of Bhagavan Sri Krishna as such. Now he goes to the Uddhava Gita where Krishna is instructing Uddhava. And now we have the essence, one of the essential verses in that discourse when it comes to understanding the material nature and how it works and who's actually controlling and manifesting everything. And this is an interesting statement, Krishna says to Uddhava. Oh, Uddhava, know that knowledge and ignorance are my two forms, energies, created by my maya. They are beginningless and cause the bondage and release of the embodied beings. A couple comments from the commentary to this Anacheda. So Jeeva is showing here the position of the Kevala Advaita school. Radical non-dualism, commonly known as the Mayavad philosophy. So the verse from Sankaracharya, basically it's saying, and there's, there's a commentary on Sankar's Bhashya by one of his followers. That person is Sri Vachaspati Mishra. And he says the following, he's a follower of Sankar, and he says in regards to the statements of Sankaracharya in the Brahma Sutra commentary, he says, this is to say the majesty and omniscience of Ishwara are not real, but only an imposition out of ignorance. This is their philosophy. This is the Mayavad philosophy. There's, the Ishwara's majesty and opulence don't really exist. It's only an imposition 
you are projecting. Because you're in ignorance, you're projecting this into the world. That there is that there is a supreme, that there is an ashwara. Really, it's not there. It's all an illusion. This is the way they think. Thus, Iswara's rulership, and this is back to something that Sankaracharya himself said, thus, as far as rulership, omniscience and omnipotence are contingent solely on the limiting adjuncts, upadis, that are a product of ignorance. They are without ontological reality. So we're really getting here a, a entrance into what is the mind of a Mayavad? What, what does he think? How does he view the world? Everything is avidya kalpita, or a product of ignorance. But, from our viewpoint, as described in the scriptures, Maya is a real potency of Paramatma. In Bhagavad Gita, Sri Krishna says that Maya, consisting of the three gunas, is his potency. In Bhagavat Purana, cited here also, Sri Krishna says that Maya, consisting of knowledge and ignorance, all belongs to him. So he takes full responsibility for his potencies and their actions in the material realm. Unlike the Mayavadis, who say that Brahman has nothing to do with material manifestation because Brahman is unchanging, Brahman is absolutely pure, Brahman is spiritual. The only way you can conceive of the world is it has to be an illusion because Brahman is Brahman and not, it's unchanging. It, it can't have anything that you see in the world. It can't manifest the world the world comes about from ignorance. They don't say where ignorance comes from. <laughs> they have no explanation from that for that. But their whole concept, and they have their support in Scripture. And if you misapply their mentality, their understanding to certain verses, you can find some support there. Now we notice that in the commentary of Sridhar Swami as kind of a bait and switch we would call it a preaching strategy oh no, Sridhar Swami used a preaching strategy but remember back in the Tattva Sandarbha Jiva Goswami himself said I will be quoting the great commentary, commentator on the Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami except where he supports Advaitin philosophy. So in his commentary, he gives some support to that philosophy just to bring in the people that have that kind of a bent when it comes to spiritual understanding that are leaning in that direction. It is an acceptable viewpoint if seen properly. Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatva jnanam advayam that non-dual absolute jnanam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti sabjate 
as worshipped, as one worships the Supreme, they, they can see the Supreme differently. But that Brahmati that's being spoken of in the verse is not a Mayavad viewpoint. It's a Brahmavad viewpoint. That will come up a little bit as we go forward here in the next couple Anachetas. So now we'll finish up this scriptural justification and explanation of the difference between Vivartavard and Parinamavad by further explanation of, well, where did they get this idea? I mean, had to come from somewhere. So, Jiva Goswami continues, Mayavad was propagated to bewilder the Asuras. Mahadev also said to Parvati in the Uttarakhanda of the Padma Purana, while listening, while listing the literature opposed to the Vedic conclusions, Pasanda Sastra. He says to Parvati there, this is Padma Purana, Mayavada is a false scripture that is called distinct, I'm sorry, it's called disguised Buddhism. O Devi, I shall take the form of a Brahmana and teach this scripture in Kali Yuga. I shall expound the non-Vedic Mayavad within the great literature of Vedanta for the purpose of destroying the universe. Again, destroying the universe can be Vasti and Sumasti. It could be little or big. Jiva goes on. He, Shiva, did this on the order of Bhagavan in order to bewilder the Asuras. This is stated elsewhere in the Padma Purana as well as in the Shiva Purana. It's another verse from the Padma Purana. Take birth by your partial potency in the world of humankind at the beginning of Kali Yuga and turn people against me by composing a concocted teaching. Well, now we have it. Who's behind all this Mayavad philosophy? Oh, it's Krishna. Krishna's telling Shiva, go and propound this to destroy the world in every way. And what kind of philosophy did Shiva, did Shiva make up a new philosophy? No. Krishna, in the verse we just quoted from Bhagavad Gita, Krishna lays out the philosophy <laughs> that Shiva is going to propound. This is the way they think. And the whole Vivartavad is encapsulated in Krishna's verse to Arjuna. As we went over in the last discussion, it's all there. Everything that we've been discussing about this concept of an illusory manifestation is there in Bhagavad Gita. 
So that's where, if we want to look to the true source of Mayavad philosophy, we can look to the statement in Bhagavad Gita where Krishna lays out the mentality of the ungodly. And then we can find the full implementation of that philosophy through the works of Sankaracharya who's working under the direction of Krishna. Krishna instructs Shiva to come and spread this philosophy. What do you mean by destroy the world? As I discussed, the destruction of the world could be individually or the family or the society or, you know, I mean, there are people that, like Sankaracharya, who started a mission and the mission's still going to this day from his time where this philosophy is being spread. So he's destroying the godly understanding of the absolute truth and replacing it with Mayavad philosophy, that the world is simply an illusion. The later statement is that Sri Bhagavan is the general, this is the general idea. The later statement is of Sri Bhagavan. This is the general idea, this is Jiva speaking. Therefore, it is said in the Nishringa Purana, in the words of Yama, even after deliber- deliberating properly for a long time on the words of Patanjali, Kanaka, Kanada, and Sankara, or on the philosophy of Buddha, Panchasika, Gautama, and Lokayata, one cannot attain perfection without the worship of Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami continues. All the works referred to in this verse from the Sringa Purana that we just read are philosophical treatises only and not canonical Vedic texts. And only the author's names have been stated directly. Thus they are not to be interpreted otherwise. Now this is interesting. You notice even now devotees are wanting to put out a text on Patanjali's you know, Yoga Sutras. So how, how are they to be viewed, these kind of texts? as an independent authoritative text or as text in harmony with devotion. But they're not that. The conclusion of the author of the Brahma Sutra as expressed in aphorisms like Brahman is full of bliss because it has been affirmed repeatedly in the sutras Anandamayabhyasa have been corrupted in these philosophies. Therefore, whatever whenever some praise is given to them, to any of these philosophical ideas, whenever there's praise, it is only because they partially establish theism by defeating stark atheism. They're not truly Vedic philosophies in and of themselves, but they point in that direction. And there's an interesting analogy, an interesting way of looking at these other philosophies. They're like a fence around the true Vedic knowledge. They're like, you know, they kind of protect it a little bit. But they're not truly 
the Vedic truth in and of themselves. Thus, Iswara alone is the independent creator of everything and not the jiva. Neither through its own ignorance or any potency belonging to it. The world, in other words, the world's not coming about because the jiva's in ignorance. The jiva's not making the world up as he goes along because he, he's in ignorance. Sri Bhadrayana has also stated this in many places, such as the evolution of names and forms, however, is the work of the supreme divinity who compounds the elements through triplication. Triplication. Because it has been so instructed in the scriptures. So this is a, this is exactly the opposite of what Sankaracharya said earlier. Exact exact opposite, coming from Srila Vyasadeva. Therefore, in statements such as he created mind and mind created Prajapati, Prajapati, the word manas mind refers to Aniruddha the presiding deity of the aggregate mind. Alternatively, Manas refers to his intentionality as in the Chandogya Upanishad, I shall become many and create progeny. So, these statements need Jiva Goswami saying, this is the way we, Vaishnavas, see these scriptural statements. So, when we, when we hear this statement that he created mind and mind created prajapati, prajapati meaning those, those personalities who populate the world, uh, so one would think, well, the mind, the jiva's mind created prajapati. No, in this sense, jiva's saying, the word manas means aniruddha. It's a manifestation of the chapter of Yuha. So that's the proper way to read that statement. And from the Chandogya Upanishad, I shall become many and create progeny. The same applies. Jiva Goswami continues. Parameshwar, who naturally possesses real inconceivable potencies, would not create a petty, illusory world. Just as the master of a philosopher's stone or the philosopher's stone itself would not produce fake gold. And there, in the Shruti, cited by Madhva's Vedanta Bhashya, he is called Satyakarma, he whose deeds are true. Consequently, this world that he created is indeed true. And in the same vein, Jiva Goswami continues, and now we come to the truth of the matter. Emphatic truth of the matter, we could say. And remember, the whole Sandarbhas are based in the beginning on how do we arrive at the absolute truth? Where do we begin? 
here we are in the world, what do we know? Where, where can I go to find out what's going on? And where Jiva Goswami begin? Well, guess where you can't go? You can't depend on what you're experiencing here. That is not going to lead you in the right direction. Your senses are not perfect. Your senses are not perfect and therefore you're living in illusion. Not that the world's an illusion, but the senses that you're using to see the world put you in illusion because they're not perfect. They're not perfect. You make mistakes. You have preconceptions about things that may not be right. So, then this verse. Jiva quotes this verse from the prayers of the demigods who came to encourage Krishna in his birth. So, the demigods came to the prison house of Kamsa and they offered prayers to Krishna in the womb of Devaki. So, this is this is one of those prayers. Satyavratam satyaparam tri satyam satyashya yonim mahitam chasatye satyashya satyam rita satya netram satyatmakam tvam saranam prapana A lot of truth in this verse. We take shelter of you, whose essence is truth, you who are true to your vow, who value truth above all, who are true in past, present, and future, you who are the womb of truth, who are concealed in all truth, and who are the truth of truth. That's Santasya Satyam. You are the eye of truth in the cosmic law. So this is the prayer to Krishna. First of all, they're thanking Krishna. You told us, we, came, we went to you and we said, will you please help us out here? We're overburdened by demoniac rulers, by this demoniac mentality. It's overruling the planet. So, will you please come and help us out? I realize we're demigods. You've empowered us, but we don't have the power to overcome overcome this influence in the world of man. So they they prayed. To, they went to Brahma and placed their position. Bumi, please, I'm dying here. Basically is what she said. I'm dying here. <laughs> There's no sacrifice. I'm not even given anything to eat. You know, I, maybe I should withhold all the all the grains. Whatever I do, these guys are just they're overrunning the planet. So they went, and they, Brahma said, "Okay." They went to the ocean of milk, and they didn't actually see the Lord, but they still 
made their prayer and Brahma was got some communication, all right. It's all right. So that's one of the things they, they, they thank him for in this in this prayer. Satyavrata, you are true to your vow. You said you'd come, and now we see you're about to take birth. So, Satyavrata, you, you are true to your vow. So Jiva Goswami continues here. Here, it is evident that Bhagavan's resolve is true. His resolve, whatever he wants, is true. Such a sankalpa. As he is devoted to truth, he is truth in past, present, and future, meaning that his three pastimes of creation, sustenance, and dissolution are all true. He is the womb of truth, meaning that he is true as the source of the cosmos, which is certainly also true or real. His being concealed in all truth means that he is situated in this real cosmos as the indweller or eminent self. As such, he is the truth of truth. Satyasya Satyam. Meaning that he is the cause of its being real. He is the eye of truth in the cosmic law, meaning that he is the only propagator of the unfailing vision found in words of truth. His essence is truth, satyatmaka, meaning that he is the form and embodiment of truth by which it is reasonable to conclude that the form and arrangement of these objects in the universe are also real. So this is Jiva Goswami's personal commentary on this verse. He's unpacked it, and this is, this is what you'll find in the commentary, Jiva's commentary, to the Bhagavatam verse. So all these, all these commentaries that we're getting here in the Sandarbhas to specific Bhagavatam verses are also summarized and presented, not summarized, but presented in the, in the Krama Sandarbha. Krama means chronologically. So the, Sundar, the Bhagavatam is presented with Jiva Goswami's commentaries taken from his Sandarbhas and placed where they belong in the Bhagavatam to the specific verses. So that's the Krama Sandarbha. There's also some other commentaries on other verses there, but primarily it's from his presentation of the Sandarbhas that that Kramasandarbha commentary is, is provided. Jiva Goswami concludes, If, however, Jiva writes, we do not understand the verse in this way, and if instead the three predicates of Bhagavan, beginning with Satyasya Yonin, and particularly the second, were suddenly given a different meaning that the world is not real, by the logic of half an elder woman, the resultant interpretation would be forced and self-contradictory, kastakalpana. On this account, the prayers of Brahma and the gods, which are an appreciative response to Bhagavan's fulfillment of his promise, would lose their natural sense 
as well as undermine the purpose for which they were uttered. Therefore, it is concluded that the universe is indeed real. So that's how Jiva wraps it up. So basically our conclusion, Paramatma has real inconceivable powers. This was established in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. There's no need for him to create an illusory maya. He is real, his powers are real, and his creation is also real. This is stated by the devas headed by Brahma in their prayers, Garbha Stuti. The astral logic, Arda Jaratiya Nyaya, is the principle of half an elder woman, as opposed to the Arda Kukuti Nyaya, which is the half hen logic. Here it would mean accepting Brahman as real, but the cosmos is illusory. God's real. Brahman's real, but the cosmos is an illusion. That would be the half-hand logic that's being spoken of by Jiva Goswami. We don't accept that. And again, when we look to truth, that's where the whole Bhagavatam begins. Satyam Param Dimahi. Let us meditate on that supreme truth. Any questions? So, um, did Jiva Goswami like, specifically prohibit that there? Was that something that you read that was in the Anachina that you read today or at the commentary or something? This is Jiva himself saying this. Jiva's saying this based on, and he's quoted a verse from the Nishringa Purana. So the verse reads as follows. Even after delivering, deliberating properly for a long time on the words of Patanjali, Kanada, and Sankara, or on the philosophy of Buddha, Panchasika, Gautama, and Lokayata, one cannot attain perfection without the worship of Bhagavan. That's from the Sringa Purana. Then Jiva, in his Sandarbha proper, writes as follows. All the works referred to in this verse are philosophical treatises only and not canonical Vedic texts. And only the author's names have been stated directly. Thus, they are not to be interpreted otherwise, i.e., as independently authoritative texts or as texts in harmony with devotion. I don't really know what the Yoga Sutra is or who Patanjali is exactly, but is he just like some philosopher? He presented Astanga Yoga as, as the basis for self-realization if you read Patanjali's Yoga Sutras how to control the mind it's not really a Yoga Sutra based on although Pranayama is mentioned Hatha Yoga is not stressed it's more control of the of the Pran it's kind of a philosophical treaty on Sadhana this is this sort of, it's kind of, that's why I, it, it's like a, like you kind of, the, the, it begins, you know, atato yoga something, you know, like now is the inquiry into yoga basically, but it's, it's kind of a riff on that. And then, yeah. And he mentions Ishvara like once or twice, but it's really kind of a, nama 
uh, yama, niyama, it starts with these kind of things. Right, controlling the mind, what to do, yeah. how to conduct yourself in a yogic way through life. Yeah, that kind of, and it's yeah. kind of like, and this should be your philosophical kind of stance. It's basically on how to, how to raise your consciousness. The, the point is that we shouldn't quote them as pramana. I think that's what Jeeva's saying. They're not, they're not devotional texts in and of themselves, although they may point in the direction, some of them may point in the direction of the Supreme. Yeah. In and of themselves, they're not going to give you devotion. They may point you in that direction. Does that answer your um, question? Yeah, that, that definitely does. Um, I have another question. Um, uh, you read that these uh, <coughs> ideas form a fence around the Vedic, um, Vedic philosophies. It was something that was presented in uh, Sachin Ryan's commentary, yeah. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, yeah, they're, like, to bewilder the atheists, to protect them, you know, to protect the Vedic philosophies, like, it's kind of like, I, I guess it's sort of like what um, <coughs> Bhakti Rasa was asking earlier, um, like, who do you need to protect them from, and I understand what you're saying, yeah. Well, we have different classes of men. Krishna points it out in the Bhagavad Gita, and there are the antagonists, those that are actually against the Supreme, and they are the, there are the innocent in human society. And then there are the devotees. So even for the devotees, they they do not they do not go out and 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 interface with the people that are true and truly antagonistic. They don't try to give the the holy name to such personalities. So in a similar way, the devotees, including the shastra itself, is protecting is very protective of Krishna. It's not like, you know, we just go out and here's Krishna and everybody just come. It's, it's like if you're innocent and you, there's an opportunity to, to give you some entrance into bhakti, yes, we're all for it. But if you're really out to get Krishna, if you truly uh, have this mentality, this, these philosophies that are in direct opposition and you're not willing to hear you're not willing to lend an ear to spiritual, true spiritual inquiry. You're not le willing to, to drop your guard and open your heart and hear sincerely. I think that was the point of, of the comment, that these other philosophies are there like a fence. Mm -hmm. Let them catch those kind of people. Let them, let them just stay there at the fence line. And gradually, maybe it will give them some help and soften their heart, these f philosophical approaches to living, to humanity, to being a good person, and then gradually a gate of the fence can be opened until there's some real ego effacement. Keep those people, 
we want to keep those people distant from the absolute truth because they can do nothing except create a disturbance. Yes. Does that help? Oh, yeah, that, that was great. That was a really nice explanation. Like that kind of catches people who have for like an insincere motives. And yeah. I, I was thinking about like how when Krishna left the world, he, he makes this pastime where like he got shot with an arrow and it stated there, you know, that that's like to, to bewilder the atheists. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to think Krishna's God. They want to accept him as a human being. Okay. Nothing could, could be further from the truth, but the fact is they, the Leela is played out in such a way that they, they also, their, their philosophy is also satisfied. Thank you so much for your association.